everybody welcome back to the fourth episode of the archie sonic digest as you can see uh we got we got some interesting things going on right here right now well you know that is if you're watching on our new patreon for as low as two dollars a month you can support the show and all that but if you want to go a little all out for fifteen dollars you'll get a video version which includes a green screen and silly effects yeah. Yay. But if you are, uh, you know, just a casual supporter and just want to know what the hell is going on in these comics, then that's what we're still doing. That's what we're here for. So, Bailey. Yes. Since you were not with us in the last episode, were, do you have any thoughts on the last bit of comics that uh, we covered? Uh, No. <laughs> That's fine. Just let, that's fine. Be transparent. I didn't get to read them. Not, you know, you know. Hey, it happens. You know, that's life. Yeah. But we will go on. The show will go on, rather, to the first, our first comic that we're covering, Sonic Number Thirty Three, done by Mike Gallagher, art by Dave Manak. And to start off, man, has this one aged? Ooh. <laughs> it uh, it's a uh, relevant. It's it's a little uncomfortable. I'll even go as far to say. Sometimes you just need to have Sonic the Hedgehog predict the future. It's messed up, man. Yeah. So, to specify, Sonic comes back to Knothole from a run. He kind of wonders what's happening. The, the town square is empty until Rotor comes up from behind and basically puts a, a medical mask over Sonic and shows the rest of the Freedom Fighters bedridden. Uh, this comic was written in uh, 1995, just putting it out there. And it turns out that Rotor uh, said that they all got sick after they ordered takeout. And it's because Robotnik put tiny little germ robots into their food. Now, let me ask you something this. Why the fuck didn't he just poison them? Because it's Mike Gallagher. Okay, but like, do we need another reason? <laughs> I look, this very well could have just been over and done with on Robotnik's part. But uh, according to Rotor, everyone else has uh, succumbed to their illness, and Rotor's the only one that stuck it out and waited for Sonic. Yeah. Until uh, until then, or. It was at that moment where Rotor kind of keeled over and uh, has, has the funny little X's over his eyes to show that he's fucking dead. And uh, Sonic's only logical response to this is to uh, take the uh, reduce and large component that they took from when they fought the Universe Salamander and shrinks himself down and goes into Rotor's body to fight off the virus. Literally. Vor your Sonic comics again? Why does it always have to be about Vor? I was going to say something about, like, 
I was just gonna say something about like that one Jimmy Neutron episode. But like no, it's Vor. It's always fucking Vor. Consensual Vor. Actually no, Rotors is inconsensual, but Sonic is consensual, I guess. He wants to be Vor, and I don't like that. Can you st Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So when he goes into the into a Rotor's body, he meets uh Rotor's quote antibodies. <sighs> which yeah. it, the, the, we're still not done with the Saturday morning cartoon humor, but that's fine. It's fine. Uh, and by when I say antibodies, it really just looks like Rotor's aunt, like in like a. It just looks like Rotor with like a cane, a nightdress, and a a perm. That's that's all I can describe it as. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. Like God, it's the nineties. What can we do? Yeah. So, th that tells Sonic, yeah, there's nothing that you can really do to fight this thing off, so just let your friends die. And Sonic's like, nah, not if I have anything to say about it, and I do have something to say about it. Goes in deeper, and fights off the virus in several aspects, one of which is like a, a living flame that calls itself a Paris site. Yes, it has a French... For living flame. Is that not it? Living flame. No, the parasite is the head goon of the cells. Ah, must have mixed that up. Everyone oh, well. has the parasite. Everyone Everybody has, has a French man in them. And I think... I think what we're, I'm getting from this is that Mike Gallagher hates the French. Which, is, which I think is a fair statement. <laughs> Listen, man. I am an American, and as far as I'm concerned, there are no other countries. So on that note, uh, Sonic does fight them all off. And even though he is on, like, a little bit of a losing streak, uh, Rotor's antibodies come in specifically to say that they've regained the will to fight back because of Sonic's unselfishness. You know, you, I, I, I just need to comment on this. Like, how can you have Saturday morning cartoon humor with something like an antibody and then also come out and say, oh, yeah, Sonic, because of you, I've regained the will to live. Oh, I, don't worry. I mean, later on, there's something like that kind of aura, too. We have a name drop they do, which threw me for a loop. <laughs> some of these issues, especially 39, threw me off for a loop for something said by Bunny. But that's for when we get there. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, uh, where are we at? So, they, the, the antibodies... All of them in the Freedom Fighters' bodies are all... I, I, I forgot to write this, but I just remembered this. The fact that they all... They're, all of their antibodies have, like, an intercommunication system that they can use to talk to each other, I guess? You know, it's, it's Bonds, alright? I guess, I mean... You know, I guess that's just what happens when you uh, first kiss your homies goodnight. That's, that's just the logical conclusion of it. Does that mean Rotor kisses his homies goodnight? What a man. Absolutely. <laughs> so, anyway. Sonic, uh, after that, Sonic uh, runs out of Rotor's body, but he can't quite reach up to the uh, enlarge uh, ray because he is small, obviously. He doesn't have enough... Uh, a vertical momentum, I think it is, to uh, reach the top of the table. So, 
What he does, he climbs into Rotor's nose, forces him to sneeze, and then uses the projectile force to launch himself up to the table, and then uh, grow himself back to normal size. Sonic the Hedgehog officially stops COVID-19. What a champion. Who would have known? Who would have known? Should have always known. So, everyone's awake and they're all healthy. And to celebrate, Sonic decides to uh, make them his uh, mother's chicken soup, which has chili dogs in it. That sounds awful. That is the running gag is everyone's tired of chili dogs, I guess. Yeah, that is. I mean, yeah, I guess cold chili dogs aren't as good anyways. Who Like, why would you eat a chili dog cold, you stupid hedgehog? Not even that. Like, why doesn't he just make chili at that point? Like, have chili with chicken in it. Then it's... At least that makes more sense. Because now you're just going to have, like, floating bits of chili in the water. Okay, I'm thinking too much about this. So the second story are, again... Or, well, it's a two-page story... With the writing done by Mike Kantarovich and Ken Penders, with art done by the aforementioned Ken Penders. Is this the first issue with where Ken Penders also draws? Uh, no, he he one. he did in the previous episode. So I gotta say, how is his art better than than it is right now? It's retrograde. It's man. There's a difference. Like, this art isn't that great either. I mean... But it's significantly more fitting for Sonic than what he's doing now. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, it's not great, but, like, for Sonic, it's competent. It's just, like, for Sonic, this is a lot more appropriate. Yeah. Now, this is the one with hockey, right? Uh, no, that's actually the next story. That's the next one. So... It was also drawn by Penders. we're getting ahead of ourselves basically what happens here is that we see a cloaked figure and he specifically says that Archimedes has captured the Chaotix and Knuckles is on a wild goose chase and he claims that he could point Knuckles in the right direction but but he says quote by imparting knowledge I would deny him the opportunity to acquire wisdom now let's stop and ask ourselves who is this person we'll get an answer later but, Bailey, who who could this person be, do you think? I hate him. I forgot to write this in my issues for this one, but every time he appears later on, I literally put fuck lock, fuck lock, fuck lock. I hate him. I hate him. We'll get to that. Oh, I'm not going to help my son save his friends. Why would I do that? Oh, I'm just going to watch him. And then when we learn later, oh, his, his tragic backstory. Fuck this man. <laughs> this is great. I love this. This is great. <laughs> I hate Locke so goddamn much. So, the aforementioned uh, hockey story, which was actually written by Penders, but the art was done by uh, D'Agostino. Was it? I thought he also drew that. Nope. I guess they just have similar art styles, or similar enough art styles. Mm. So, uh, uh, the Freedom Fighters are playing hockey. Snively interrupts, basically saying, hey, Robotnik banned fun, basically. Can I play with you guys? They're like, yeah, sure, why not? And Robotnik sees this and decides, hey, here's a wager. If uh, Snively and my Badniks uh, like win, you guys surrender. How about that? And S- Sonic, in his infinite wisdom, says like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And, Re- and Snively Re- just literally goes, hey, I'm betting on you. <laughs> I'm betting on you. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Robotnik's half of the wager was, oh, if you guys win, then I'll surrender and leave, uh, and I'll give you back Robotropolis. But, uh, you know, obviously they win, the Freedom Fighters do, and Robotnik doesn't uh, give in on his end of the bargain. But it's just like, eh, well, uh, I'm not surrendering, but since you won, I'll let you uh, fight another day. And that's that's Sonic number 33. Yeah. And we move on quickly to Super Sonic versus Hyper Knuckles special, a comic that, while actually is kind of underwhelming in reality, I was kind of excited to read it. I'm not gonna lie. I liked the cover art because it was done by Spaz. He does a lot of cover art. He does really good fucking art. <laughs> so, to start, the first story. We see uh, Sonic, Tails, and Sally are noticing Knuckles over uh, a monitor. And he's walking to Robotropolis by himself. Sonic, being paranoid as all hell, thinks that he's going to go to Robotnik and try to cut a deal. So, Knuckles... Or, I should say... Meanwhile, Knuckles looks at Robotropolis, and he calls it ugly and disgusting. Very... (laughs) Harsh, but fair. And says... And this is a direct quote. Robotropolis is living proof that Echidna Society was right to abandon tech and revert to being environmentally friendly. Like, let's... If you think that's preachy, you're right. But to be fair, Sonic does... The Sonic series as a whole does have that, like, message of environmentalism. But man, you're laying on thick, Gallagher. Mm-hmm. So, in when he says that, he immediately flashes back to Knuckles about to leave the floating island says, and says to Mighty, Hey, uh, the floating island used to be kept afloat by 12 Chaos Emeralds, but there's only one left in the chamber. Uh, and ends up pulling out a book of myths from a nearby tree stump, conveniently. And that book talks about the Lake of Rings. If you're familiar with the TV show, you'll know what that's about. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But he says, according to the book, the rings are byproducts. He says that according to the book, they're the rings, the power rings, are either byproducts of the Chaos Emeralds or the other way around. They don't really know for sure. However, connected, yeah. However, they do know where those rings are. There are Chaos Emeralds. And Knuckles thinks that these Lake of Rings are somewhere near Robotropolis because he thinks that the radiation that that place is giving off actually isn't pollution. It's radiation from the Chaos Emeralds. So he asks Mighty to protect the island while he's away. Nice clean cut. And so Knuckles lands at the nearby lake, which he thinks could be the Lake of Rings, and sees a broken camera staring at the lake. To which Sonic pops out and uppercuts Knuckles in the jaw. Yeah. Like, I know their relationship is complicated. But how complicated does it have to be for Sonic to just, like, see him and just decide that it's on site? It's weird seeing Sonic be the hostile one towards Knuckles when it's usually the other way around. I mean, usually it's because of the fact that, like, Sonic is literally the trespasser. So maybe Sonic thinks it should just go both ways. I mean, fair enough, I guess. I yeah. mean, it's every time he goes on Angel Island, Knuckles is like, Hey, I'm walking here. 
<laughs> I guess. So, Sonic and Knuckles, uh, they, they scrap for a little bit until Sally intervenes. And Nicole is pointing into a hole where a tree was uprooted and looks into it. And they see a, a portal in the hole with full of rings and chaos emeralds. By the way, this hole by the tree is one that Sonic lifted, by the way. Yeah, he lifted it with his bare fucking hands. Because uh, Knuckles struck it, and it caused the roots to get loosened, and Sonic is like, okay, I'm just going to lift this entire ass tree. Which, I know you weren't here for the last episode, Bailey, but uh, <laughs> just know that Tails did the same thing, except it was a mechanical tree, so it had to be ten times heavier. <laughs> Tails is four. Is he four in this continuity? Oh my god. I thought he was eight. In well, the games, at least, he's eight. We'll get to that. We'll get to oh that. God. So, uh, ta -ta -ta. Knuckles immediately dives in and Sonic follows. Right before that, though, Sally points out that Knuckles, quote, hasn't changed since she and him spent summers together. To which Sonic stops dead in his tracks and says, Bro, what? And Sally just says, like, hey, that's not your business. Go get Knuckles. I'm just like, okay. So Sonic and Knuckles are in the zone, racing each other to get rings and chaos emeralds. And Sonic transforms into Super Sonic first. And later, Knuckles transforms into... It is Super Knuckles, but for some reason, they decide to call him Hyper Knuckles in the comic. I, I... think that's because, like, his Hyper and Super forms are very similar in Sonic 3. And also, as we know, they didn't exactly get time to play the games or anything for this. They were probably only shown art of Hyper Knuckles. I guess. I, That's I my guess. Wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Hyper Knuckles is cooler than Super Knuckles anyway, so who cares? It's the same thing. Same difference, basically. And it makes sense with what we learn later on, you know, of Knuckles being microwaved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that's a fun story. Oh, I can't wait to get to that. But... Ever just microwave your own son? <laughs> so, they transform, and they're fighting each other in their super states. Keep in mind, in their super states, they're invincible. So, yeah. They're not doing damage. The art was done by Art Mawani, right? For this fight? Yep. Yeah, it's actually pretty good at points during this fight. I don't like Mike's dialogue during the fight, but the fight itself was fun. Yeah, it's not bad. It's really not bad. So, speaking speaking of which, uh, they run toward each other at near the end of the fight at such incredible high speed that the zone itself is like warping and colliding in on itself. And it spits Sonic and Knuckles out of the hole. Sonic wakes up. Sally says that the fight caused the zone to collapse in on itself and nothing's left. Sally leaves with Sonic. And Sonic tries to like coerce Sally about like, hey, what was up with you mentioning that you spent time with Knuckles as a kid? To which Sally said, don't worry about it. They're just like, hey, don't you want to hear about Sally and Knuckles' time together? Uh, like, come on, the stupid editor things like... They just explained, yeah, uh, I'm I'm royalty, so I just traveled here. Lol. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit more information about that because that's a story in and of itself. Yeah. Knuckles comes. Knuckles uh, comes to and goes back to the floating island, and he reveals to Mighty 
that despite all that happened, he was able to hold on to one Chaos Emerald from the zone before he was ejected. So he's got a new backup Emerald that he can destroy. <laughs> no, well, this one's real. He wouldn't destroy it. I was really hoping that was a real Emerald he destroyed. That would have been so funny. And that's the end of that story. But we get. So does that mean Knuckles technically wins? Uh, he got what he wanted, so I guess so. Yeah, Knuckles wins the fight. Too bad he's going to become boring protagonist man and like an issue. Don't worry about it. Uh, but we'll, we'll get a taste of that right now, actually. Uh, yeah. Because we have a, a secondary story from uh, Mike Kentarovich and Ken Penders with art by Ken Penders. To which it's just a flashback to Knuckles' childhood. His dad's showing him around the floating island and he shows him the chamber where the Chaos Emerald's held. And Knuckles is recalling this story while he's looking for the Chaotix. And he uh, something interesting to note is that Archimedes is using similar wording that his dad used at that same time in regards to, uh, you know, like the, the situation about the floating island at the very least. And Knuckles remembers that his dad taught him a little something about knowing your enemy. That's going to be important later. And then he goes back to a flashback to where he and his dad were at the edge of the Forbidden Zone of the Angel Island. <laughs> and in this... The Forbidden Zone. He goes to the Forbidden Zone, and Knuckles' dad, he walks up to a wall of flames and says that he's answering the call of their forebears, which is just another word for forefathers. I guess uh, one of the two decided to be fancy. So, wait. This makes me wonder... Do you think there's an echidna version of Mount Rushmore? Absolutely there is. <laughs> God. So Knuckles' dad jumps into the flame and vanishes before Knuckles' eyes, leaving Knuckles with childhood PTSD and trauma, I assume. Oh, yeah. Wait, why, why would you just do that with no explanation? He's like, bye, Knuckles, I'm going to go die now. And... For the record, we obviously that the context that we fans understand at this point is that Knuckles is the last echidna. So as far as we understand, Knuckles just watched not only his father, but the only other surviving member of his race basically commit suicide. Yep. So he's, he's, Knuckles has a lot of complicated feelings to deal with right now. Yeah, he handles it like a champ, to be honest. Uh, mm. Boring protag He's in boring protagonist mode. Well... In handling this, after re after having that PTSD flashback, Knuckles just stands his ground and he just swears to find the Chaotix and Archimedes, and that's the end of that story. It's the end of that. Yeah, you ever just you ever just go walk into your fire in front of your son for no reason, not even give him a good reason, just like bye, I'm gonna go die. That's a Tuesday for me. <laughs> God. So. I hate this fucking echidna. We move on to Sonic number 34. This is, uh, this was written by Angelo Decasare and art with a newcomer, uh, Brian Thomas. His, his art's not very, like, noteworthy. It's a lot like Art Mawini's art style to paint a picture in your head. So. Yeah, I, did, I just thought it was Art Mawini. I didn't, I, sometimes I just kind of miss who it was written and drawn by. Honestly, sometimes fair enough. I mean, I appreciate that there's uniformity on their art style sometimes, but, you know, it's a little, uh, sometimes you want to, like, give props where it's due, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it starts off with Rotor and Sonic. They're trying to de-roboticize uh, Chuck and Mutsky, but it doesn't really work with Chuck saying that really only Robotnik's tech can do the job properly, which it's a little bit more complicated than it actually, but we're going to get to that near the end of this end of this episode, I promise. So while they're doing that, Snively is called to Robotnik only to find Robotnik dressed up like a general declaring total war on the freedom fighters and behind him and i assume right now on the green screen behind me will be what robotnik calls his new scott new squad of robots called combots which are literally just mass-produced swat bots that are designed specifically to fuck with the freedom fighters and to raise the great forest oh yeah thinking about this issue again yeah the art was actually quite a bit different it's kind of weird so meanwhile, Dulcie was spying on this little meeting that they had, and she quickly goes to tell the Freedom Fighters. Chuck and Mutsky and Sonic are then sent to Robotropolis to find out where the robots are before they're properly activated. However, it was a trap, boys. Chuck and Mutsky uh, are attacked and end up getting their free will stripped away, and Sonic is held prisoner, and Robotnik goats to him, saying that there's going to be a parade tomorrow, and you're going to lead it, Blue Hedgehog. And that next day, Tails, Bunny, and Antoine uh, are all reporting to Sally. They don't know where Sonic is. We don't know what's going on here. And in the distance, they come to find that uh, Robotnik in a tank with his squad uh, coming up behind him are coming to raise the Great Forest, and Sonic is strapped to the front of it like... Like a plush toy on a semi-truck. I was thinking more so, like, you know how they put things at the front of ships? Mm. Pirate ships? I was thinking like that. My reference still stands. While they're getting citizens to a bunker, they're eventually stopped by Robotnik, and uh, Uncle Chuck takes Robotnik... Uncle Chuck is the one who's piloting the the machine that Robotnik's on, by the way. Robotnik orders the bots to raise the forest... But they end up marching in the wrong direction and walk off a cliff. It's a little weird. Wonder what that's about. Meanwhile, uh, Sonic breaks free a little bit. For the most part, he breaks free and is on the tank's controls and ends up threatening to roboticize Robotnik, which is, uh, that's a little dark, man. Yeah, Sonic's I mean, they, pissed. I mean, like, you've already seen what a robo-robotnik can do. You really want to play that card, man? Yeah, Robotnik is afraid, even though he knows he'd be fine. Uh, you see, that's the thing. We don't really know, like, exactly how roboticization works. Or, I mean, we do know, but the matter of, like, losing your free will, that's the one that kind of stumps me. Like, what? Are you, like... Is your will succumb to the person who roboticized you? Is that how it works? I think the ro- the roboticizers are like designed for you to become succumb to the will of specifically Robotnik. Yeah, as we see later on, who fucking knows either way because of you know the final issue we talk about today. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. But uh, with all those questions unanswered, uh. Mutsky then attacks Sonic, and Uncle Chuck brings the hovercraft for Robotnik and Snively to escape in. So they leave, not hold a safe. However, Rotor comes in to say that uh, 
it was all a ploy. It was a gambit, a funny haha. Chuck and Mutsky had neural overriders installed on them when Robotnik tried to realign them. And Chuck reprogrammed the combots to follow his orders, not Robotnik. What a twist. And later on, Uncle Chuck and Mutsky come back to Knothole. And they say that it's probably for the best that they stay in Robotropolis since Robotnik thinks that they're back on his side. And they can be as be acting as spies. So, that's a neat little uh, story development. And we go on to uh, the next story. Still continuing on from the Knuckles stuff from the last issues. Uh, again, Mike Kentarevich, Ken Penders wrote it. Penders did the art. Blah, blah, blah. Knuckles has no idea where the Chaotix are and continues to monologue to himself. He notes that he's at the shadow of Mount Fate on the floating island. And then flashes back to a story that his dad told him about Mount Fate in particular. And he said that his dad told him that Echidna civilization was the most advanced scientifically at the time. And they were a bit hedonistic let's say they didn't really care about the world around them they were very much like uh the kingdom of science if you understand what i mean by that so echidnas were scientologists no scientologists are not scientists okay you're right atheists then i mean i guess you could say no 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 because Onikenna literally talks about God. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not an atheist state then. Hmm. We More questions than answers. Echidna civilization was the most advanced. They then found that a comet was about to directly hit the city of Echidnaopolis. That's what it's called. And the whole of the city comes together in their hall of learning, as it's called, to discuss the issue. And I noted here that all of the echidnas look exactly like Knuckles. Every single one of them. Oh yeah, it begins. It begins. It begins. So, their plan to deal with this comet, they excavate the surrounding area of the city and try to find Chaos Emeralds buried under the land. And the whole city basically got in on this volunteer project. And found 12 Chaos Emeralds. They poured them into caverns below. And they kind of resonated in the city's infrastructure. And caused the city to rise up into the sky. It missed the comic's impact. And thus became the floating island. Knuckles claims it was a grand day in Echidna history. And that event gave birth to Mount Fate. And quote, the greatest menace of all. Which we'll get into pretty soon. Just hang tight. We get, we get to him soon. But before that, we get into Sonic 35. First story here done by Mike Gallagher, art by Manak. And this is actually kind of a significant story. Because we start out with Robotnik chasing Sonic around as he's collecting some power rings. Sonic grabs this one in particular which ends up snapping him away into another zone, to which, according to Robotnik, because for some reason he was counting this, was Sonic's one billionth ring that he grabbed. And in this new zone that Sonic was taken to, he is face-to-face with one of the ancient walkers, which were prevalent in the uh, the Tales miniseries, if you remember. 
Oh. So, Sonic tells this first walker that he countered that all these rings really do is that they give him a power boost, but the one that he's holding ends up burning itself in the ground and burrows itself. And around the center of the ring, it rises itself up and boosts Sonic into the sky. And the walker says to Sonic that for getting a billion rings, he deserves a reward. The ring itself launches to Sonic, knocks him off the platform, and sends him into the green sea that's below. Uh, But the ring lands below Sonic and ends up being like a floaty device. So that's neat. But the ocean, turns out, is not water. It's an ocean full of chaos emeralds. Which, as like a Sonic fan, that's a very bizarre thing to see. Just what I presume to be tens of thousands of chaos emeralds acting as a seabed. Yeah. Archie is whack. Archie went sicko mode. But my question is, why didn't Sonic take any of these? I mean, maybe he's just overstimulated, bro. He's got more questions than answers, which are zero right now. I mean, yeah. When Sonic is on the land, he notices that... He notices another ancient walker and demands answers about the zone. And the walker ends up putting a ring on Sonic's index finger, which has a tiny chaos emerald on it, and makes Sonic wonder if the rings and the emeralds are somehow related to each other. Which, I guess if we're to infer from Knuckles' comments earlier, I guess yeah. Yeah. And then the walker gives Sonic a riddle about the rings, which... to make a long story short, it amounts to, like, a chain link of rings. Sonic gets it right, and then the chain, like, comes up from the Emerald Sea and drags Sonic into it, trying to drown him. But there turns out to be a bottom to this sea, and Sonic lands yet again on his billionth ring and meets yet another ancient walker, which offers to grant Sonic a boon and to answer any question Sonic has. And his question was... Any question? To which the answer is yes. And then he's knocked away. Good job, you fucking idiot. Again, he's just overstimulated. He doesn't know what's going on. So, there's a page of Sonic monologuing to himself with actual questions. Like, where did the rings go when like they leave a zone? What are the Chaos Emeralds? What's happening here? Why can't I just go to bed? Why can't I just go to bed? Yeah. So after a while, Sonic is shot out of a portal back to his dimension and into Knothole. To which, by the way, Sonic got shot out of this portal as a projectile straight into Robotnik's Eggmobile and uh, caused it to, I I think, crash? Yeah. They just made him have to retreat. Which, I I don't understand why he was hanging around there after Sonic literally vanished into thin air. But whatever, you do you, man. So, Sally catches up with Sonic. And Sonic says that the origin of these magic rings and the Chaos Emeralds could hold the key to defeating Robotnik. Which is foreshadowing for a certain story that will come up in the next episode. But, we'll get to that. And, uh, back at Knothole, Sonic decides to mount his billionth ring on the wall as a keepsake. Which is, again, another piece of foreshadowing. Oh, boy. But, however, we still have a secondary story here. Again, back to Ken Penders. 
with art this time, actually not by Ken Penders, it was by D'Agostino. But uh, we have Knuckles on a flashback, thinking again about more stories that his father told him when he was young, about Echidna society first adjusting to living on a floating island. So we first see two Echidnas are looking for the Chaos Chaos Chamber and the Chaos Emeralds within it. They find it, and eventually they reveal themselves their names, Edmund and Dimitri. These are names that will be very important to the lore. I hope you're taking notes. Important, but I didn't know about Edmund. Edmund is very important to the lore. Take notes, kids. This is will be on the test. No, I don't want to take my SAT. My Sonic assignment. Sonic assessment test. God. So, the, uh, where am I? They note the Chaos Emeralds have never lost their energy since they were first used, which I'm, they don't exactly talk about the timeline too much, but I presume that uh, that it's about like a at least a couple, like at least like a hundred years since it happened, since the floating island like went up, I think. It's been generations. Yeah, it's definitely been. So they note... The Chaos Emeralds have never lost their energy. They were only there to collect readings from the Chaos Emeralds. But Edmund notes about there's a goal of Echidna Science since the floating island was first created to try to regulate the effects of the Chaos Emeralds so they can go back to land. Something to think about. Just have that in, your, in the back of your head as you go through the rest of this episode. So they get their notes and they give a presentation and propose this device called the Chaos Siphon, which, if works, will gradually drain the Chaos Emeralds of their power and slowly lower Echidnaopolis back to the land. Their plea, however, is denied by a judge, which I know we already talked about all the Echidnas look like Knuckles, but this the judge just looks like Knuckles in a magistrate wig. It's very funny. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's something. He's claiming that... It's too risky since they don't have proof of their hypothesis, and if anything goes wrong, a lot of people can get hurt. Which, you know what? That's completely reasonable. That's literally the scientific method. This guy is completely in the right to do what he did. Just pointing that out there. Dimitri is pissed about this ruling and decides to storm out, where Edmund chases after him. He goes back to their apartment and sees the prototype Chaos Siphon is gone. Freaked out by this, he runs the chamber and finds Dimitri using the siphon in the middle of it all. And he says, what has begun cannot be undone. The siphon ends up exploding, to which a nearby search team comes in and finds Edmund alive. But they notice that 11 of the 12 Chaos Emeralds are broken and charred and drained of their energy, but are shocked because the island is still afloat. And Dimitri speaks, everyone being surprised that he's still alive, and says that one Chaos Emerald has infinite power in and of itself, and he knows this because that the energy from the remain or from the other eleven Chaos Emeralds have been absorbed within him, and he now has quote enough power to lay worlds to waste or refashion them in my own image. To which Dimitri immediately creates a dark tower from the underground and would go on to be known as Mount Fate 
inherited the fall of the Echidna civilization. And that's the end of Sonic number 35. The origins to a plot and a character that comes up multiple times. Not just multiple times, but it's like, if you're starting to stop and think and you're wondering, man, this is getting unnecessarily heavy. Yes, you're right. That's a fair argument. (laughs) Yeah. But on that note, we go right into Sonic number 36. uh, Written by Ken Penders, art by Art Mawinney. We start off with the Freedom Fighters are looking at a monitor into the Zone of Silence. Obviously, they're looking for uh, Sally's dad. But all they find is a knight on a horse riding through the empty space and destroying whatever landmasses are in its way. Sonic points out that when Snively uh, threw him into the Zone of Silence from the last episode, it didn't look anything like what they're seeing. Long story short, Robotnik says that Sonic and Robotnik were in different dimensions at the point, which are technically part of the Zone of Silence, but they're not in the specific part that they think the King is in. So, Rotor runs a test to find some magnetic waves, and they find a lot coming from Robotnik's tower, which leads Rotor to believe that Robotnik is trying to do something here. Sonic rushes off to Robotropolis, and finds Robotnik and Snively shooting something into a portal which sonic ends up breaks and the laser cannon uh just stops working three of them duck and cover as it explodes to which robotnik says that sonic has doomed mobius and tells both sonic and snively that his robotnik's mentor kodos was planning to overthrow the king before he disappeared and had blueprints for weapons as basically as proof of his story to which one of them was a portal to the Zone of Silence. And Robotnik notes that the zone isn't entirely consistent, but it's like a parasite. It will grow and encroach other realities. Robotnik was able to stop it from encroaching on Mobius specifically with a photon cannon for a couple of years until Sonic just broke it now. Great job, hero. You did a great... Yeah, thank you. So, Robotnik says it may still be possible to use the spare device that he has called an energy inhibitor. And voila, the universe will be saved and Sonic will get the king back. Sonic doesn't entirely trust this, but Robotnik doesn't trust Sonic either. And actually questions, even straight up questioning what really happened to Kodos. And even the editor's notes for this comic says we'll find out later in the future. And boy will we find out later. Mm-hmm. Sonic goes back to Knothole after Rotor scans the inhibitor, and he says it's mostly safe, but don't don't use it if you have another choice. It's a last resort. So they go into the zone of silence, and immediately they're faced off with the weird knight that they saw, and it demands We're their surrender. Very out of place, by the way. Oh, it's going to get even more out of place in a second. Oh, I know. So Sonic takes out the mooks, distracts the knight, and Sally knocks him off his horse. The helmet is knocked off, and it turns out that the knight is the king, and doesn't recognize any of them, not even his own daughter. Hey, just so y'all know, you know how I hate luck? I also hate this this person. Fathers in this series are awful. Yeah, I get, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh, yeah. Sonic decides to use the inhibitor at the king, which causes energy waves to blow them all away, and Rotor has to cast a lifeline into it and drags them back into Mobius. However, they know the king is alive. 
So they're one step closer. They just need to figure out how they can rescue him. That's not, that's not all, folks. Story B. Kantarovich and Penders wrote it. Penders did the art. Standard stuff at this point. The flashback from the last time is continuing. We have Dimitri and the Echidnas trapped. Or Dimitri has the Echidnas trapped in his tower. And boasts that all the Chaos energy is in his body. He can use it as he wishes. He reprogrammed the security bots to enslave the citizenry. And is having sails built over the, the towers. And he wants to use the island to travel around the globe. Because uh, I I was always under the assumption that even in the games, the Angel Island was, like, always moving free of the rotation of the Earth. But I guess it's not in the no, comics, No, I always saw it as staying in the same place. I guess so. I don't so. know if it stays in the same place according to Adventure, though. Look, Sonic lore is inconsistent. As far as lore goes, these comics are literally the most consistent uh, ones, for better or worse. I well, I mean, I haven't. I don't know if we can say that because neither of us have been through Sonic the comic. Uh, Who knows how consistent that is? I mean, I imagine it'd be like equally consistent because it's a comic. I just, I just know that at one point Tails is offered the chance to shoot Robotnik with a real ass gun, JFK style. Ugh. Dimitri is shooting chaos energy over the Echidnas, basically to like taunt them right as he's about to kill them. But then we start to see fire ants coming through the walls of the tower and free the captured echidnas. But in doing so, they weaken the foundation of the tower and the place is crumbling around them. Edmund tries to call out to Dimitri, but he ends up being crushed by debris. Edmund is forced to leave him behind and they all see the tower crumble. And I didn't mention this before, but the judge echidna was with the search party. And he notes that the red ants saved them. A direct quote. We owe our very future to these. The humblest of God's creatures. Yeah, God is name drop. And it, it threw me off just seeing and, the word God. And here's the thing. For any of you uh, Catholics out there. In the text, it's Angle. It is like denoted as God with a capital G. So this is like Judeo-Christian God. Yeah, straight up God. Like, cause I mean, Sonic Heroes had Amy Rose just go, "Oh my God!" But like, that this was is more the of a first figure. time in this series series where God is just name dropped. <laughs> echidnas are Catholic. <laughs> the echidnas are Catholic. I we guess we solved it. That explains a lot, to be honest. <laughs> that explains Locke. Wow, oh my God! So that yeah, explains the holy war they have at one point. I think. If I remember oh right, God. there's a holy war. There are a lot. There are several holy wars in this oh, series. Oh hell yeah! This isn't a. This is a bit of an aside, but goddamn, if you're someone who has no idea about these comics and are being thrown off by every single like off mention that we have, good. That's the intention of this podcast. Yeah, it's to show you these comics are fucked up. <laughs> They're fucked up for a while. From there. It is said, the Echidnas denounced their ways of science after seeing Dimitri's hubris as their ultimate error, and they destroyed their city and appointed a guardian to protect the last Chaos Emerald, which is Edmund. And then we get one of the most iconic panels from this series. The one when people point out the Echidnas all looking the same. The panel of the uh, Guardians being going from generation to generation just being Knuckles. And for the record, 
uh, I pointed out it was Edmund that they appointed as the first guardian, which to be, I, that's kind of weird to me. Like you're going to appoint the brother who of the guy who's the reason you're doing this all in the first place. Like I get it. The sins of the family are not your own, but that's still a bad look, isn't it? Oh yeah. What Bailey mentioned is the one panel where we see Knuckles being the latest in a long line. And it's like, it is a long line. It's like 17 generations of echidnas going all the way back from Edmund and eventually going all the way to Knuckles, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking, I hate that panel so much. Oh, I can't wait till we get to the echidna family tree. I'm excited for the echidna family tree. Oh, that's gonna be that's gonna be like equally as special as this. Oh yeah. So upon all this, Knuckles snaps back to reality and remembers about the Grand Conservatory, where Echidnas archive their old scientific society in an underground city. And he remembers that the city ruins might be the entrance to the conservatory, and says, "Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it." I uh, very common saying, but it is gonna be very true in a minute. Yeah. So, uh, apologies, but I just ran out of water, so let's take a quick refill break, and we'll be right back. And we're back with the Archie Sonic Digest, and what a what a nice uh, break to come back into the Knuckles miniseries. Yay. Yeah, the first yeah. of many. Oh, yeah. 32 issues of Knuckles. But, uh... This is a, a miniseries proper with uh, the writing being done out. I need to, I want to point something out. The writing is credited as Ken Penders and Mike Kantarevich. In all other instances before this, the writing was noted as Mike Kantarevich and Ken Penders. So I have to wonder if the writing credits are similar it is to like in the movie industry. Because the way it is is that like... If you're first billing, that kind of did means you did more of the work. Yeah. Maybe maybe we got a little role reverser now. Maybe I guess now it's Mike Kantarevich to be the one to help out. I still know nothing about Mike Kantarevich. Like I know nothing about this man. Honestly, I don't know much about him either. But uh the art was done by Art Mawinney. So but uh first note I have though is that his art is starting to become a lot more dynamic. Like, I mentioned before about how, like, his art was very much, uh, like, storyboard art as he's more accustomed to. But for these comics, like, he's breaking, he's starting to to break out of his shell a little bit. We're starting to see some more action here. Yeah. Start off with the first of these three comics. Knuckles has entered the Grand Conservatory and is avoiding traps left, right, and center. And ends with a boulder chasing Knuckles Indiana Jones style. And dives into a room to avoid it. Yeah. And at this it's time, booby trap. Knuckle or at this time, Mount Faint is rumbling, and the very top explodes, and a figure just just pops right out of it. And as Knuckles is getting his bearings from what happened, he sees several doors, and he finds a gun. And I I pointed this out too. It's very weirdly designed. Like, yeah. it has the handle of a pistol, but a barrel of a shotgun. Like, that knockback will kill your wrist. 
I just find it so funny that like, hmm, I'm known for my super strength. Better get this gun. It's very realistic. It's not realistic, but it's very close to being realistic. It's pretty funny. That's what it is. Knuckles of a gun is pretty funny. Yeah, but still, like, what a bad-looking gun, man. Oh, it's ugly. Knuckles takes it with him and uses it to blast down a door. Because, again, like, this is a children's comic. They can't have real guns. It's just a laser gun. Yeah? Upon breaking this door down, Knuckles finds the Chaotix with Archimedes and reveals himself to be a Mobian red ant. And it is about the size of one, too. Maybe a bit bigger, a lot bigger, but yeah, it's still significantly shorter than the rest of them. But the Chaotics are all taken care of and fed. Meanwhile, the figure that erupted out of Mount Fate is now flying to the court conservatory as Knuckles monologues about how Archimedes was able to make himself vanish and carve his name into granite. But uh, Archimedes disappears again. And blows fire at Charmy from behind Knuckles, trying to execute the guy. <laughs> and Archimedes claims that the fire ants helped out Echidna since the origin of the island. But before they could get into that story a bit deeper, the figure decides to come itself into the room. And says that the fire ants thwarted his will long ago. And reveals himself, not as Dimitri as Knuckles points out, but... As a figure known as Enerjack. A very important character. <laughs> very important character. Knuckles essentially calls bullshit, saying Dimitri could not have survived this long. And Enerjack, you know, don't dead name guys. He says that the energies of the 11 Chaos Emeralds have empowered him not to the point of invincibility, but also longevity. He's immortal now. To which Knuckles and the Chaotix rush in to fight him. It's just a fool's errand on account of the fact that they're trapped in chaos energy. And they're... Or Knuckles and Archimedes are sent flying away into the Sandopolis zone. With the Chaotix being kept behind. That's the end of the first miniseries issue. Right into the second. Picks us up right where we left off. Knuckles and Archimedes are still in the desert. And are attacked by a sand crawler. To which Archimedes distracts it. And makes it hit itself on a rock formation. And the next immediate scene is them eating food over an open fire. To which I can only assume is them eating the meat of the sandworm. I mean, echidnas probably eat worms. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, they eat, they're eat they anteaters, I guess. Yeah. Archimedes is retelling the story of the floating island to Knuckles. And says that if it wasn't for the fire ants... Breaking the ground under Echidnopolis, the floating island would not have taken off. So it's because of his people that the Echidnas are all still alive. Meanwhile, Enerjack flies off to the ruins of Echidnopolis and deems it the future site of what he deems or calls Necronopolis. Necron being the word for dead, I believe, in ancient Greek. Yes, yeah. Knuckles is losing his mind in the desert hallucinating, and he ends up trying to eat Archimedes. <laughs> should have just ate him. He should have not even spit him out. I think Knuckles can handle... Uh, I think Knuckles should be able to handle some spice. <laughs> and he says that because uh, Archimedes uh, blew fire in his mouth and says, uh, don't ever pull that shit again, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah? 
and Knuckles later collapses and gets a hallucinogenic vision of his dad in the sky Mufasa style and says, Knuckles, my son, the key to defeating Enerjack is to learn from history. So again, Mufasa style. Knuckles and Archimedes end up fighting a literal oasis in the desert and they cool off in there, eat and continue on. And as they look behind them, the oasis disappears. This is never explained. Yeah, it's never explained. Like, they both said, but it was real. We, it, we have everything, but it just vanished. I don't know, man. I, here's the thing. I thought it was, like, some sort of weird, like, Enerjack hallucination or of reality manipulation. But, like, it just isn't. I mean, if it is, it never is explained. Is it, like... I was kind of thinking, is it fucking Locke trying to be nice to his son for once? I don't know. He can do bullshit. He's got monitors everywhere. He's the fucking florist from Yakuza. He is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Except, like, a worse character. (laughs) I mean, the florist also has a deadbeat son. So. Okay, Knuckles is not a deadbeat. As far as his dad is concerned, he is. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, Knuckles sees a robot patrolling the great the gates to Necronopolis and immediately scraps it and notes that Enerjack created kind of a dark interpretation of Echidnopolis and just dive right into the citadel and Knuckles baits the patrol bots and crushes them under a gate. Two Knuckles and Archimedes entering a dark room where Knuckles is tripped, stung, and punched at. Surprise! Enerjack has the chaotix under his control. Woo. Woo. And that's the end of the second uh, miniseries issue. Leads us right into Knuckles number three. Archimedes attacking the Chaotix with his flame breath to break their formation. Uh, They do fight, but Knuckles and Archimedes end up passing out, and Enerjack has them held. And laments about how Echidnas were once the most advanced race on Mobius with their technology. If you're getting... If you're getting some vibes with this language, that will stay prevalent. Oh, yeah. When Interject becomes Dimitri again, we learn some lore about Dimitri. Oh, boy. Knuckles uh, kind of mocks Enerjack to prove his point, and, pan- and he plans to, uh, or Enerjack plans to create another tower, to which Archimedes sends a signal out to his homies and they march on Necropolis, which it's just like. It is just a signal. Like, he has antenna on his head that he just kind of taps and says, Boys, we gotta move out. I know, it's never explained either. He could just do that. I mean, I guess it's like the hive mind of an ant colony, which makes sense in that respect. So does that mean he's like the queen ant? I don't know if it works like that. Does it work like that? I don't know. I think so? I don't know, man. They're they're Mobians. They're not simple ants anymore. They've evolved. <laughs> Knuckles and uh, Archimedes and Knuckles uh, vanish in a cloud of dust, to which Enerjack calls the Chaotix to find them. Turns out that they were up in the vents, and Knuckles uh, uses the uh, the high ground to fall on top of Enerjack. They uh, hurl insults towards each other, with Enerjack saying Knuckles is only is who he is because of his own weak brother. Strong words, buddy. Mm-hmm. But then. Out of nowhere, rockets launch the tower into space, and a hole is created under Knuckles and Archimedes, which let them stay behind. 
Archimedes finds his aunt homies and they all say that, oh, all we did was create a, an escape route for you guys. We had nothing to do with the rockets launching. We don't know what was up with that. So they just say, uh, all right, then mission accomplished. The necropolis is vanishing. The chaotics are waking out of their mind washing and they, they, they win. It's a very underwhelming end to the first appearance of Enerjack. It really is. Like, goddamn. And hey, notice this trend. This is a very Ken Penders thing. Setting up cool ideas and just kind of doing this. Not much. Uh, I'll get into it a bit more later, but I really do think that Ken Penders' writing style is something along the lines of, like, cool ideas, decent execution on those ideas... But the end result always ends up falling flat. He's just more of an ideas man than, like, a writing man, I think. Yeah, he definitely needs, like, a writing partner, in my opinion. Which I don't know... Yo, Mike Kentarovich, where are you at? What happened here? Did did Ken Penders, like, put you in, like, a little bit of an arm lock here? Or what happened? Probably. <laughs> I mean, seeing as nobody ever talks about Mike Kentarovich, they only talk about Ken Penders... Who I'm, knows how much Mike had influence in this? Fair point. Fair point. So, uh, while they're celebrating, they see a command center where a hooded figure says that he completed the rockets that launched Enerjack into space and walks away from the monitors, saying that he's glad that Knuckles made an ally out of Archimedes and he'll keep a watchful eye like his forefathers have done for countless generations. And I quote, isn't it the father's duty to look over his son? This is supposed to be a big twist. Yeah, fucking, I I ruined that by saying how much I hate this man. I mean, look, look, I hate this man. It was obvious. Like, I wouldn't even think it was obvious in retrospect. Like, this guy, an echidna in a hooded figure, watching over Knuckles over multiple monitors. Like, that's clearly like his dad, or at least someone important to him in that respect. I hate this man. But we already know this. We, I'm not ready for the worst of it all. Yeah. I'm not. This is only the beginning. But we end uh, the miniseries on a short epilogue with the rock. We see the, the ship being launched. And we all we can hear is just a maniacal laughter. So, as we alluded to previously, this will not be the last time we see uh, Enerjack or even Dimitri because... Uh, Funny things happen. Very funny things happen. And will lead us into Sonic number 37. The way I described this plot, it's very not that relevant. You, you, got, you know Sonic Labyrinth where Sonic loses his speed? Yeah, that's it. They just spray some gas on him and he can't move fast anymore. And then he just collects rings to get fast again. The end. Yeah, that's basically that's basically it. Like uh honestly, yeah, you kind of hit all the points I made in a single sentence. I don't even think we need to talk about this comic like Wait, anymore. I got the issues wrong. I was 38. Oops. <laughs> 37 is actually relevant cuz it gives us uh the nightmare story with Bunny. Yeah, that was story B, which you know what? Let's do this real fast. So, number 37. Uh Angelo Decasari wrote it. Brian Thomas did the art. Uh, they've, Uncle Chuck has a spy room underneath some rubble in, uh, Robotropolis, and he brings Sonic and Sally there, which I am, uh, when did Sonic Underground come out again? Because I know this is a very similar 96. situation. 
So I don't know if they had any material for that. I doubt that they did, but who inspired who? I'll leave you guys with that question. Let me look this up real quick because now I'm curious. Sonic Underground came out in, in it came out in oh, it started in '99. My bad. Sonic Adventure came out in 1999. What the fuck? I didn't realize it was 99. How was it that late? I don't know. How did Sonic Underground survive into the Bush administration? Okay, let's move it on. It went from the 6th of January 1999 to the 23rd of May 1999. Oh, so it didn't survive into the Bush administration. Never mind. <laughs> I I got the I didn't I thought it was 96. I didn't realize they waited so long to make Underground from like after Sad I Am ended. Yeah, I think Avengers ended first. And even though Sad AM was airing the same time as Adventures, it, I think Sad AM ended second, but I'm not too sure on that. Probably. Yeah. Well, look, here's the thing. Uh, they, they predict an earthquake is going to hit the city of Robotropolis, but Robotnik plans to fly out of this because he knows and they, they'll just rebuild after. They realize the city's going to be left defenseless, so they're going to get some freedom fighters in there beforehand, fuck shit up, free some Robians, and... Uh, you know, get that done. And they do that, for the most part. Chuck brings Sonic in, and brings a whole bunch of Robians in as well, and plans to try to mass de-roboticize them. Which, surprise, actually does work, because the way that they want to do it is, instead of feeding them into the machine one by one, because they literally don't have time for that, they instead plan to explode the machine, and... It works. A lot of the Robians in that room are de-roboticized, except for Uncle Chuck. But it's okay. It's He's cool with it. He says he's better off as a spy. Rotor arrives with a plane to take everyone back into Knothole. Chuck tries to stay behind, but Sally orders him to go protect himself. So they stay behind because the plane conveniently can't fit Sonic and Sally. Not like they can't just stand in the charter plane or anything. Uh... They try to run off, but uh, Sally ends up getting crushed by falling debris. This is not the first time Sally will nearly die in this comic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nicole gives Sonic an escape route, but Sally has a low chance of survival. They escape, and Sally, in bandages, gives Uncle Chuck the Mobian Golden Acorner Road for his bravery in the mission. And Sonic receives one too, but decides to give his to Nicole, since uh, she was the big thinky in this one. So the first time, so- like, what are the few times Sonic is nice to Nicole? Because for some reason, he's just kind of rude to her. It's weird. Look, Sonic just doesn't like machines. His uncle is the only exception. And his dog. Yeah. Yeah. Snively and Robotnik are landing back into Robotropolis, destroyed and intends to rebuild... And uh, puts a satellite field uh, or satellite force field over the vicinity so the Freedom Fighters won't do any damage. That's the first story. The second story here is what you uh, what you er- alluded to earlier about Bunny having a bad dream. This was written by a guy named Rich Koslowski. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And upon doing my research, it turns out or he did the story and the art, by the way. And according to my research, this is actually the first work he did in the comic book industry. <laughs> and he actually got an in because he knew Mawini. 
I guess they work together. Probably. So, this is, like we said before, bunny-focused story. The Freedom Fighters are playing volleyball. She says it's time to go home. And she's complaining that she feels like an itch near where her robotic arm is. And later that night, Bunny rushes into the uh, meeting hall and is screaming for help. And points out that her robotic arm is now encroaching on the rest of her body like a parasite. And Rotor looks at it and points that that Bunny's robotic parts are somehow able to grow on their own. Bunny is then shown with a nearly complete robot body with a message projecting from her hand coming from Robotnik saying that her body was implemented with a microchip and that it will be utterly useless to even de-roboticize her because at that point the mechanical parts will still grow back. So it's something that can't be removed or destroyed. They try to console her but she ends up running off. And later the next morning, she just slowly becomes more and more Robian. And the only options she has left are to just leave a goodbye note for them and run away. She goes off into the nearby uh, valley and ends up sleeping underneath a tree. And Sally ends up finding her with Bunny in a panic saying, no, 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 get away from me. I'm going to hurt you. And then realizes that she's perfectly fine and it was just a bad dream. And Sally just says, hey... You have nothing to worry about. You're fine. Bunny says, yeah, you're fine. I'm fine. I I hope. And this is actually a pretty important story character-wise for Bunny because this comes back. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It comes back in a way that is actually pretty subtle. You don't... You wouldn't really think about it unless you knew, you know? Yeah. That's number 37. And as previously alluded to with uh, Sonic number 38... uh. It's just- the whole thing is like so is the b story yeah it is kind of just all filler sonic gets slowed down the freedom fighters get like hit nearby with lightning sonic is knocked out and realizes his speed is gone and they get it back by just collecting a bunch of power rings Woo. the the significant thing about this is that they do find the lake of rings they realize where its location is that's the important takeaway Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sonic just accidentally finds it. But, but, there is something important about this story because we have some more uh, reveals, I guess. This comic issue was written by Kent Taylor, who actually is the pen, a pen name of one Scott Fulop, who has his own long-standing history with the series in a similar vein to Ken Penders. Not as a... Uh, I, I hate putting it like this, but Lowell Cowley compared to Lowell to, to Ken Penders. But yeah, he has his own issues. No pun intended. Didn't he become the editor? Mm, did he? I don't know. I, think, I thought, I don't know. I know there was an editor change around one of these issues. We also have another, a new artist as well, Manny Gillan. And... In all my research, he's not very significant, although when I search up this name, he's responsible for a certain kind of mouth drawing that's kind of become a mini-meme. And in my notes, I, I say to describe it as like mouth open, lower lip looking akin to Wario's mustache. I have no idea what I'm trying to say with that. Look, if you know, you know. You have Google. Look it up, kids. Uh, Yeah. 
that's that's the situation with the A team or with the A story and uh the B story is just like a, a bunch of nothing. It's it, it's like I only have like three. All I can tell is write comics while they're sick. Ooh, that's it. That's basically it. And they're basically like parodies of like the Fantastic Four and uh, Batman and Robin. That's that's it. Yeah. Literally a bunch of nothing. But so we moved to 39. We don't even need to talk about it more. It's fine. It's fine. We moved to 39 where we have a bunch of something happening. Oh, yeah. Written by Mike Gallagher. Art by our man Patrick Spazatine. Yeah. We open up with Sonic waltzing into a Freedom Fighters committee, uh, being upset that he was rejected for a plan that he came up with, which is to have Sonic roboticized while having one of Rotor's neural overriders on him so he can fight Robotic with a severe advantage and win. Now, is this not the best idea he's ever come with? He gets shot down. I get it. We've already... They mentioned about how, like, this was literally... We already did this plan and it backfired with, like, them finding the neural overrider. No, we're not fucking doing this, Sonic, you goddamn idiot. He just leaves upset. And Sonic, like like any, you know, uh, heterosexual man, he goes to hit the gym to blow up steam. <laughs> right as he's about to do so, he gets knocked over the head by Knack the Weasel, who Robotnik hired to take him to Robotropolis. And Knack delivers him to Robotnik, demands his pay, and Robotnik basically says it shut up and dump him in the roboticizer. Knack refuses this, but... uh. Robotnik has one of the nearby uh, Badniks grow into gargantuan size to hold him while Robotnik tosses Sonic into the machine himself. Slowly, we see this, Sonic painfully becoming roboticized and is then dubbed Mecha Sonic. This is not Metal Sonic. This this is actually Mecha Sonic. And not Mecha Sonic from Sonic 3 either. Mm -mm. A completely separate Mecha Sonic. Yeah, and you know what? I'm I don't know about you guys, but Mechasonic's design fucks. It fucking rules. I feel like it was designed by Spaz. It's fucking it, good. It definitely was. It shows. Yeah. Art in this and the next issue are well, okay, the main story of the next issue in this story pretty fucking good. As a test, Mechasonic is ordered to destroy the large crab meat does that and then he orders to mechasonic to go to knothole and raise the place to the ground and then sally nicole rotor and antoine are all outside knothole and see mechasonic coming in and are immediately attacked to distract him sally has nicole activate some holograms to confuse mechasonic which which gives them some time they then call in bunny to fight mechasonic and is able to hold. He's able. She's able to hold his own with the roboticized Sonic thanks to Rotor's upgrades. One of which include uh, basically a Mega Buster, and it rules actually. And while Bunny is fighting Mecha Sonic, we get some interesting lines from her. Like, uh, why don't you make like a Yankee and surrender like they like a Yankee did in Chickamauga? <laughs> And then when she's defeated, well, when she gets defeated and tries to rise back up, she goes word for word, the South shall rise again. You know what, man? I'm going to be honest with you here. If you got that out of context, but you knew something about the series, you think, 
bro, Ken Penders, man, what the fuck, what the fuck, man? But no, that was Mike Gallagher. That was Mike Gallagher. Oh my god. To my knowledge, I don't think Ken Penders wrote Bunny like that. I I think Gallagher was just trying to come up with some, like, cheap jokes at, like, Bunny's southern drawl expense. Which, I mean, mission accomplished. But, like, goddamn, man, way to lay it on so thick. It was something to see. Because Bunny would not be racist. This is a fact. This is Bunny a fact. Is, Bunny is not racist. Bunny's not racist. Her husband is French. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Like you mentioned before, Bunny is uh, ends up being uh, defeated. But I also pointed out that Bunny, she shoots at Mecca in like a full page art spread. And it is beautiful. Patrick Spazatine, you you're a miracle worker. You honestly are. He really fucking is. This issue is just Bunny fights Mecha Sonic, and, and then after that, Knuckles is like told to come in by Tails. Mm-hmm. Knuckles and comes in. He comes in. Knuckles comes in. He's like, "Hey, I hate this man. I'm gonna punch him." Hey, wait a minute. You people are giving me a reason to punch this guy. Fuck it. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. Tails rationalizes it by saying, oh, well, Sally uh, said that you were friends with her growing up as children, so you're definitely willing to help us out, right? To which Knuckles says, like, well, I just I just want an excuse to beat this guy up, but if you got a legit reason, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most in-character Knuckles has felt in a while, yeah. and it's weird coming from Mike Gallagher. Uh, I'm going to hold my tongue on that for a minute because we're going we're gonna to double back to it. That is true. Sally says that they only have one option left because Knuckles is defeated. He He's able to hold his own a little bit, but he is, like, knocked out really quickly. And Sally says that there's only one thing to do left, which they dub Operation Last Resort. Which leads us into the last comic we're covering today, the Mecha Madness Special. And this I am... fucking rules. It fucking rules. I love it this rules. so much. This was genuinely... The first just genuinely good story. And I can't believe it's from Mike Gallagher. I mean... The art makes up for any Mike Gallagher shit. It really does. We will open up with where we last left off. Mechasonic is destroying Knothole, raising it to the ground. Sally demands Rotor to get the Bot Maker, which was the portable roboticizer that they kept... That bunny was being fed through when they rescued her. They kept it intending to like study Robotnik's design. And it was like kind of working. That's what Rotor claims. And he like meekly asks Sally. Hey if we do this like haven't we just like stooped to Robotnik's level? Like are we no better than Robotnik? To which Sally says shut the fuck up. We don't have time for this. Yeah it's exactly fucking happens. You know what? I'm not gonna lie. I kind of... I kind of appreciate Sally kind of having this take-no-shit attitude. Like, I think she should be written more like that. I Okay, we're going to slander Ken Penders again. We're going to do this. So Ken Penders likes to write Sally kind of like this weird stereotypical, like, yo, girl boss, like, I can do anything, I'm just as good as any man kind of shit. Whereas, like, almost all the other writers kind of, like, they do kind of have this general philosophy of that. But Ken Penders lays it on way too thick. Everyone else is just sort of like, 
they show it through actions along with the words. Like right here, Sally just immediately shuts Rotor down, says, look, we can't have this discussion right now. We are in a serious, literal life or death situation. We can talk about this later. So Knuckles just dives head first into them the robot machine he just goes straight in by the way he's like all right i'm down i'm going i want to punch this man again no yeah like he is really enthusiastic to beat up sonic <laughs> it's great i love it honestly knuckles like he understands the situation about the deal or, or about the situation and says yo i think the only thing left we have is to roboticize you and he's like bet they slap on the neuro overrider and go he just goes in he comes out roboticized as Mecha Knuckles and immediately attacks Mecha Sonic, which, again, phenomenal art by Patrick Sfazatine. Phenomenal. 10 out of 10. fight is really good. It is a genuinely entertaining fight. It's just two robots going at it. It's awesome. With fantastic designs, by the way. Oh, yeah. Rotor... So, they're fighting in the sky. Rotor notes that mecha knuckles may have the advantage here since mecha sonic was kind of worn down he's knocked out knocks mecha knuckles towards nuclear warheads in robotropolis to which knuckles brings in sonic by quote inverting the polarity in his claws and mag and magnetizing like i don't know how to describe it he's magnetizing mecha sonic in and says quote if i'm going out i'm taking you with me <laughs> And they both are caught in the explosion. And the Freedom Fighters are mourning them both, believing them to be dead. We see Ground Zero. Robotnik comes out of the bunker, realizing what was happening. And sees Mechasonic still moving, but badly damaged. Robotnik tries to take uh, Mechasonic back to repair. But Mecha Knuckles, still moving perfectly fine nothing it's as if nothing happened to him he fights back and takes mecha sonic and knuckles uh, ends up bragging to robotnik about he still works perfectly fine because again quote he was roboticized with an older machine and mecha sonic was made with inferior foreign parts i i that's that just speaks for itself in all honesty the things the more things change the more things stay the same yeah so Knuckles brings Mechasonic back to Knothole, mentions that he's badly damaged and goes off into the deroboticizer. And Sonic actually was having some little bit of signs of free will back when he uh, noticed Tails, just pointing that out. He, uh, he realizes what's going on. He sees Sally and basically says that, like, he says, quote, I don't deserve to live. I betrayed friends and loved ones. Like, it's like, oh my god, what is with the writing here? What happened? It's a weird turn for Mike specifically. We'll get into that at the end, I promise. I'll get into everything at the end. Knuckles is put through the, the de-roboticizer. He's all good. But Rotor mentions that after Sonic got his billionth ring, it left him a protective aura that the roboticizer couldn't penetrate. So that's why he still kind of has his free will a little bit. It's all deep in there. So... He mentions that his lab was torched, so they don't really have time to get everyone down there and get everything ready. But Nicole conveniently mentions, hey, 
I've got the data about the situation. Just plug me into Mechasonic's body. Just do it. Just, fu- just fucking do it. And they do so. She expunges the ring energy out of Mechasonic's body and ends up de-roboticizing Sonic. Sonic has no memory of what happened to him. As uh, Knuckles comes out de-roboticized, Sonic kind of just shoes him away. Basically tells him to fuck off. <laughs> it's just like, hey, great way to uh, thank your savior. But whatever. Knuckles gets pissed and leaves. Yeah. Rotor, or well, right after this, Sonic is then handcuffed and accused of treason by Antoine. And Bunny is claiming that Sonic allowed Robotnik to roboticize him, which obviously wasn't the case. Yeah. Sonic is then taken away. Sally is in tears. It's actually a, a big mess. It's awful. It, it's a little... It, it got me like right, right in the Kokoro, man. <laughs> and that's the end of the first story. The second story, done by, uh, again, Kent Taylor. And we have a new artist. The, this name is going to be very difficult for me to say. Harvey Mercadokasi. I have no I did not say that correctly. He is just referred to as Harvey from here on out. While Knuckles is fighting Sonic, the Chaotix are on the floating island. They're fighting off a group that are only referred to as the Fearsome Foursome. And also we're introduced to another important character. Another very important character. by Who calls himself the previous ruler of Mobius and its future lord and master, Mammoth Moggle, boys. That that's all that is to this issue. Mammoth Moggle comes in, the Chaotics do something, and he leaves. That's his whole introduction. That and he does give a little bit of backstory about how like he was born before even the ancient walkers, and he gained immortality after he got like one of the first Chaos Emeralds that came from the sky. That's that's it. That's all you need to know. Will become more important as part of a certain uh, fate for someone. That's that. There is a third story that is just filler, literally. We just see, like, a group of freedom fighters that we were introduced to from the Tales miniseries that they're dealing with their own issue. It's it, it's not anything. I'm just, no. I'm, we're done. We're done. Yeah, we're done here. We're done here. That's it. Here's my takeaway. Just read the Sonic and Knuckles Mega Madness special. Just, just read that fight, please. It is fantastic. Like, genuinely, I, it's Mike Gallagher's best writing. <laughs> yeah, and that's one Knuckles, thing I noted here. Knuckles has his attitude. It's great. He's just eager to fight, and that's the Knuckles I know. It's so much better than what we saw in, like, the miniseries where he's just generic protagonist, man. It's not Knuckles. No. You know who is Knuckles? Big Punch. Yeah. Big Punch. Yeah, it's very interesting to see. One thing I mentioned, or I, I think I even mentioned this on the last episode about how, like, I firmly believe Ken Penders does not understand the point of these characters a lot of the time. He is writing basically his own science fiction, but with Knuckles, because that's all our Sega would let him use for these stories is Knuckles. Yeah, this, we'll get into, we'll touch on this a little bit more, like, way down the line, but, uh... Ken Penders pointed out previously about stories about Sonic went under a lot more scrutiny, obviously, because he's the focus character. But when it came to Knuckles, they would approve basically anything. In fact, he even specifically said that oftentimes he would 
pitch a Sonic story, it would get rejected, and he would retool it to have Knuckles and Knuckles-focused characters, and that would get approved. Yeah, that's the whole reason he used Knuckles. Not because Knuckles is his baby, it's just because that's what he could get. Yeah, it was convenient. He just saw an opportunity and he took it. I mean, fair enough. But God, do his stories suck. Yeah, that's another thing. That's a whole separate thing entirely. Yeah, I think this is a good stopping point. Oh, definitely. I have some more things I wanted to point out about how, like, the origins of the rings and the Chaos Emeralds is something that the games never went into. In all honesty, I don't believe they need to go into them, but that's a conversation for another time. But, hey, they're getting into it, and I kind of think it's interesting, at least, for... Obviously, these comics are a different canon, so they have the liberty to, like, explain these things if they want to do so. Some of it's interesting, but none of this here lives up to Sonic and Knuckles' Mecha Madness, so I do not care. Fair enough. Because I'm the type of my favorite arc for all of Archie is still way later, the championship arc. That's just good. Everyone's in character, and it's entertaining fights. Yeah. While still having a good story in the background. That's all I ask. That's all That's all we ask for. But something that I mentioned, uh, the flashbacks that we talked about earlier on in the comics, they were all basically taking place, like, when Knuckles was, like, standing around looking for, like, the like where to find the Chaotix. It really breaks the flow of the story, in my opinion. Because, like, in-universe, Knuckles is just kind of standing there having a flashback. Time is kind of going on. It just feels, like, weird. You know? One thing I didn't mention when we talked about the Knuckles miniseries... I did actually like how they explained backstory in that. Knuckles is just literally walking on, like, panels. Oh, no, I kind of liked that choice. Yeah, that's... But I believe, again, that was done by Art Mawani. And, hey, everyone is getting their own sense of growth here. And you know what? I have to give Ken Penders props on that. He's the one that started this whole, like, more dramatic focus on it. If it wasn't for him, we'd still be reading Saturday morning cartoons, man. Yeah, pro- maybe. I'm not sure, because I think it was an editor choice, too, to go on a more story-focused thing. I mean, either way, Ken Penders did kind of, like, he was the first domino that fell. Uh, We mentioned before about that Batman parody comic, or, like, yeah, Batman Fantastic F- uh, Fantastic Four parody comic. That was written by uh, Mike Kenterovich and Ken Penders. I have no idea why they decided to do that. That's something seems more like would be done for, like, uh mike gallagher that seems more his forte i guess it was a back catalog i mean i don't doubt it a lot with the series like a lot that's the end of this episode of the archie sonic digest you have any more uh thoughts bailey you'd like to give out no i want to go back to final fantasy (laughs) it's patch day at the time of recording Actually, yeah, right, fine. Let's you go back to your fucking Funeral Fantasy, you fucking goddamn oh, yeah, weep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sonic Comics. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys uh, next time for a handful of comics, including something that we alluded to previously about the origins of the Chaos Emeralds and the Power Rings. We'll leave you that as your teaser. Thanks for watching, guys. See you next time. Whoa, I'm free. <laughs>